Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Grossman. I'm CEO of the Atlas Society. Welcome to the third episode of the Atlas Society Asks. And I am uh, extremely excited to have with us um, today Greg Schaefer, um, who uh, he served in the FBI for 20 years. Uh, he served on the FBI's elite hostage rescue team, the HRT. While serving on this elite team, Greg participated in numerous overseas operations to locate, capture, and kill some of the world's uh, most evil people, including Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. Um, Greg has conducted tactical operations in Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Yemen, and you name it, here in the United States. He is currently founder and president of Schaefer Securities Group, um, based in Dallas, Texas. Among their many, many clients is uh, one of the Atlas Society's student partner organizations, Turning Point USA. And we always have a big presence at those conferences. So first, um, Greg, I want to say thank you for helping us uh, feel safe and be safe when we're at those conferences. And thank you for keeping the, the students safe as well. Um, I also have another thank you for you because uh, last summer, I was interested in finding ways to improve my security, to limit my risk. And I was just looking out on the internet to find what was the best book on the subject. And I found this, Stay Safe, uh, Security Secrets for Today's Dangerous World. Um, and it wasn't actually until after reading this book uh, much later that I realized that the author of the book was also the head of the company that had been keeping us safe. So thank you for, for, for writing this book. And let's start with this. So um, in this book, I got a lot of actually practical skills, like practical tips, things that I've incorporated into my daily routine. But you say you know, survival is, is not a skill set. Survival is a mindset, not a skill set. Could you start by elaborating on, on what you mean by that? Sure. Of course, it's great to be here. It's great to see you as well. I uh, hope you're surviving this uh, pandemic. Um, okay, survival is a mindset, not a skill set. What I mean by that is in any critical incident, whether it is an earthquake or tornado or an active shooter event, any critical incident, it's not how strong or how fast you are that determines whether you survive that incident. It's your mental strength that determines that. Um, let's take a look, for example, the Pulse nightclub shooting. It's a horrific event that happened several years ago. Um, 48 people were killed. The shooter walked into a nightclub late at night and opened his fires. Nine individuals ran into a restroom to hide. Now, they go into the restroom. They know there's killing going on out there on the dance floor. They, they heard, the, heard the gunfire, saw the, saw the shooter. They ran in there to protect themselves. Well, a few minutes goes by, and the shooter walks in that bathroom and then horrifically shoots them one at a time and kills all nine in that restroom. My question is this. What is it, what is it that we're not teaching our kids that even when their lives are at risk, they're not able to fight back? Because, Jennifer, if, if you and I and seven other people went in that restroom, I guarantee you there'd be a different outcome. Because we would get in there, I would say, okay, when that son of a gun walks in here, Jennifer, you grab the weapon. I'm going to grab him on the throat. You, John, you poke his eyeballs out. You grab his legs. You do this. You do that. We'll, we'll break a piece of glass off the mirror. Every restaurant has a mirror. Break a piece of glass off. Wrap a tie around it or a shirt around it. Use it as a knife. But we will have a plan. 
that we will, we, we, our lives depend on whether or not we do something and just to sit there and do nothing, you have to ask yourself, what was, and again, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but what was the survival mindset of those individuals at the false nightclub? They just sat there and waited for their turn to die. You see, we have to rehearse what we're going to do in our minds before it happens. Here's a perfect example. We all know, Jennifer, should we catch on fire, what are we going to do? We're going to stop, drop, and roll. Because that's been ingrained in us. That survival instinct has been taught to us since we're a young child. Well, we need to do the same thing for other critical incidents. We need to rehearse in our mind, what are we going to do if? Because you're not going to develop a plan in the middle of a crisis. Well, that's, that's for sure. Having been through, uh, you know, a crisis or two when, when I'm home in Malibu and I see the fire, you know, coming over the ridge um, and the smoke is everywhere, you know, you, you just panic and, and you, you just have to have your checklist. You have to know exactly, exactly. what you're going to do in order to be able to, um, to face face the reality. I also think that uh, the, the failure to teach philosophy, the failure to um, teach the, the fundamental metaphysics that reality, you know, exists, um, allows people to just develop this kind of mongrel philosophy that uh, where they avoid facing, um, facing what's happening. And um, yeah, as Ayn Rand would say, uh, you can av avoid reality, but uh, you can't, you can't avoid the consequences of reality. <laughs> I yeah. know that saying very well. I actually use that in one of my presentations. Um, yeah, and it and it could cost cost you um, could cost your life. Yep. So um, here we are. You know, we're we're in this terrible um, this crisis, this lockdown, uh, the economic fallout from the lockdown, and also just the sheer you know mental stress of being in lockdown, and so many people facing the loss of their livelihood, potentially their home, uh, would seem to potentially create greater risk and greater security concerns. What are some of the threats that you see right, right now and um, potentially on, on the other side of this? Well, uh, the greatest threat I see right now is not so much to the individual, it's just our losing our civil liberties. Mm -hmm. uh, I think every citizen out there needs to be aware of what they are allowed to do and not allowed to do and not allow their civic leaders, whether it's the governor, the, the, the mayor or the city council to take away their constitutional rights. So everybody should be aware of that. Um, secondly, um, would be scams. Uh, I think there was a lot of stuff on the news just today about new scams coming out. People um, you know, trying to reach out to you to, to tell you about your, 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 your refund check coming in. Uh, and those, you know, the IRS never, never calls you. Everything's done by mail. So just be aware of scams out there. Somebody knocks on your door telling you that they have a, a COVID-19 test kit. That's a scam. Don't answer the door. Um, so that'd be the second issue I'd be concerned with. And then third would be a civil unrest. Now, uh, it's great that so far civil unrest has not been an issue. Uh, God bless America for that. Yes. But should this last much longer? Should people's... Um, you know, money start running out because they're not getting paid and they can't go to the store to buy groceries, you may see an increase in civil unrest. So just be aware of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, what we're living through right now, um, it, it reminds me of, of what happened in Atlas uh, Shrugged when um, the creative people, the people that were holding the world on their shoulders, when they said, you know, I'm not going to be victimized anymore. And, and they shrugged and the result was, um, businesses closing down, food supply running out, 
I just was walking, I'm staying here with my parents down Polk Street, um, and I saw this, this tragic sign uh, that said, um, you know, already broken into, mm. no food left. We're trying to order food, and I'm calling a restaurant and saying, no, you know, no food left. So I feel like we're living in a kind of Atlas Shrugged moment right now. Um, the theme of, of Atlas Shrugged was, uh, one of the themes was the sanction of the victim. Right. Um, you know, that uh, there are ways in which we uh, unconsciously may be cooperating with people who uh, don't have our best interests at heart that want to take advantage of us. And so um, I was wondering if you could um, maybe give some examples or if you see any overlaps between the ideas in your message and um, Ayn Rand's message. And also, what are, what are some of the ways in which, you know, that, that horrific example um, of the shooting was one of them in which we are putting ourselves at greater risk, making it easier to be, to be attacked. Right. Um, you know, there's a, a slogan I use a lot in my presentations. It's the body can't go where the mind has never been. Again, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but we, we have to rehearse in our mind what we're going to do in the event we're caught up in a critical incident. And it, let's take active shooter, for example. Um, again, you're not going to create a plan in the middle of a crisis. So you need to know what you're going to do. You hear shots ring out. Now, as human beings, our first reaction is to rationalize our fears away. You know, you've seen the interviews. Shots ring out. Air, uh, the media comes and they swarm and they ask the survivors, what did you think, Jennifer, when you first heard the gunfire? And Jennifer answers 99% of the time, I thought it was fireworks, not gunfire, fireworks. Well, you know, my follow-up question would be, well, how many times has fireworks gone off in your workplace? The answer is never. And in today's world, what's the better probability or bigger probability, having fireworks go off in your workplace or gunfire? Well, unfortunately, we know it's all gunfire, but we rationalize those fears away. So don't do that. Uh, think about what you would do. Now, the number one biggest mistake people make in active shooter events is they tend to freeze in fear because they didn't have a plan and they dive under their desk or run into a closet and hide. Hiding is absolutely the worst thing you can do in an active shooter event. Keep these two stats in mind. The average distance that an active shooter shoots and kills his victims is less than five feet. Take away the Mandalay Bay shooting, that was, an, that was an anomaly, but the average distance is less than five feet. It's those that hide in their desk behind the, the cash register or in a closet. Those are the ones that are shot and are killed. The other stat is this. The, the, av the average hit rate on a moving target yeah. with a shooter, shooter with a handgun is 4%. So if you run, 4% means you have a 96% chance of not being shot by running. So should you hear shots ring out, what you want to do is make it difficult for the shooter. And that is to run. And, you know, take that 96% chance and have him not hit you just by running. And if, if you're hiding and he finds you, then you have pretty much 100% chance of being shot and killed. So don't make it easy for the shooter. And if you can't run, uh, then you need to look for a place to um, deny him access, the shooter, and then look for ways to defend yourself, look for improvised weapons. Um, and, you know, also in the book, you talked about how, you know, how to run. There are ways, there are just even techniques in doing that and, and how to, to, to make yourself less of a target. Um, it's a tough subject. I understand that. It really is a yeah. hard, it's a hard subject to talk about. Um, we don't want to think about these things. You know, this is horrific. Any crisis is horrific. This pandemic is that way. But again, when this is all said and done, 
what you're going to have to do is take a good hard look at what you did right and what you did wrong and develop a plan so should something like this happen again you're better prepared so um one of my favorite chapters from the book is the one on situational awareness and it's got a, you know it starts off with this creepy but true thing that you said the serial killer ted bundy could spot a victim by uh, the way that she carried herself uh, on the street by the tilt of of her head uh you know how can all of us particularly women and, and those who are vulnerable i think of my parents they're you know they compete with each other every day to get their ten thousand steps but they're out you know sometimes my mother's out walking uh, on the streets of san francisco um you know what what is uda in a nutshell and um you know how how can we just even in the way we carry ourselves down the street um and you know, with our hair or whatever, what are things that we can do to be less vulnerable? Well, keep in mind that most violent offenders are cowards. They are going to attack the weakest person they can find. We've all seen those um, National Geographic videos of the five or six lionesses hiding in a creek bed as thousands and thousands of antelopes run by. And then all of a sudden, all these lionesses at one time pounce out of their little hide and, and, and pounce on one lone antelope the weakest one in the herd. Well, violent offenders do the same thing. So if you walk down the street with your chin up, chest out, shoulders back, and you act like you own the street, mm -hmm. he's gonna let you walk by because he knows in the next minute or two, somebody else is gonna walk down the street with their shoulders slumped, their head buried in their cell phone, being yeah. totally unaware, and they're gonna say, that's the one. They're gonna go for the weaker target. So if you walk down the street like you own it, then that makes you less of a target. And, and, and there's a thing called The Gift of Fear. It's a great book written by Gavin DeBecker. And trust your gift of fear. And what the gift of fear is, it's God's given early advanced warning system in human beings. You will know when something's not right. The hair on the back of your neck will stand up. You'll get chills down your arms. You'll get that gut instinct. Women's intuition is great. Trust it. It never lies to you. Your body is able to pick up on sounds and vibrations and senses that you cannot articulate, but they're there. So if you feel like something's right, something's not right. If you're walking on the street and you feel like, okay, this, I just got this weird sensation, don't dismiss that. Trust that instinct, reevaluate the situation, and either change or, or continue on. But trust that gift of fear that everybody has inside of them. So, um... We have a little bit of extra time. You had some really great stories in the book of, let's say, okay, somebody is coming after you. You, you told the story of um, you're being out uh, on a date with your wife and, and, and you just knew that these guys coming towards you were something was wrong, it was, it was bad. You, you reset their, their UDA. So what, what is UDA and um, how do you reset it? Um, and Arisa has some other wild stories of, of, of women, you know, um, jogging and then resetting people's UDA. Like what if we, we try to avoid cross to the other side of the street, but, but if you are, are being confronted with something, you, you see them coming your way, the preventive posture is good, but what, what else can we do in any tricks, stories you care to share? Sure. Uh, you refer to it as the UDA. It's the UDA loop and UDA is O-O-D-A. It stands for observe orient, decide, 
act. It's a decision-making process, a continual loop that we use thousands upon thousands of times a day. Uh, when you drive your car, you are observing what's around you. You're orienting yourself and your car and your foot and your hands to what you see. You decide what you want to do and you act upon it. Okay. So you, you oodle loop. So if you're driving down the road, you're, you see a stoplight, the car in front of you, the bicycles to the right, the truck in the back, all this around you, you're observing, orienting, deciding. All of a sudden, a, 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 a dog runs in front of your car. You have to stop what you were doing and reobserve, reorient, redecide, and react. So every time that's interrupted, loops interrupted, you have to start from the beginning. So in the event of a violent encounter, what you want to do is upset the OODA loop process of your violent attacker. Now, I'll give you a couple examples of that. First is um, the, the restaurant, subway, the subway shops. Okay, subway stores was the most robbed retail establishment in America for 20 straight years. Number one. Now, when you walk into a subway store, what do the kids behind the counter do? The people behind the counter look at you, they raise their hand, they say, welcome to Subway. They're not doing that to be nice. Now, it is good customer service, but they're doing it to upset the OODA loop process of the individual walking through that door. Because what they found by doing that is they reduced the number of robberies where they're not even in the top 20 anymore. Because the person comes in, I'm going to rob Subway, I'm going to rob Subway, their mind's on this robbing Subway. They walk in and all of a sudden, Welcome to Subway. They have three kids behind the counter looking at him, the violent offender. He's got to now reobserve, reorient, redecide, and react to whether he still wants to continue on with his original plan to rob the store. What upsets that process so much that, again, they're not even in the top 20. So upsetting the OODA loop process is a great way to, to buy yourself time and look for that opportunity to escape. Now, a couple of examples. First and foremost, I had a, a, a client, she's a physician, and she runs around a lake here in Dallas. And she told me a story one time where she was running around the lake and there was a rapist that was out and about in Dallas. It was all over the news. And she thinks that she had to run with this individual. She was running and she said, out of the wood line, and this lake is in the wooded area, out of the wood line came a man and started chasing her. She said, without a doubt, Greg, I knew that I was his target. He had ill intent. Mm -hmm. She did, was ingenious. She uh, ran into a grassy area. She got down on all fours, started barking like a dog and eating grass. Now, I tell that story to all my clients, all my speeches, and everybody cracks up laughing. And it is kind of funny. But to this day, both her and I are absolutely convinced it saved her life. Because he stopped about 10 yards away, looked at her with disdain, shook his head like in disbelief, and walked away. Yeah. He, yeah. She upset his OODA loop process by acting crazy. And one thing I have learned in 31 years of law enforcement, bad guys don't do crazy. <laughs> that, and that is, that is so important. I mean, you said if, if somebody's coming at you, you just yell out purple unicorn or just do something crazy. You know, do, yeah. something, do something crazy. And, and I have that, a lot of practice at that. So there you go. don't come after me. Plus I'm armed. And the one you alluded to also, my wife and I were in downtown yeah. Baltimore at the Inner Harbor. Uh, long story short, two guys came around the corner. We're in a bad part of town. We shouldn't have been there. Uh, two guys came around the corner. I felt immediately like they had ill intent towards my wife and I. We couldn't cross the street. So when they were about 10 yards away, I put a big smile on my face, raised my hand and said, hey, guys, how you doing? Good to see you again. Now, hey, guys, how you doing? Good to see you again. That upset their OODA loop. First of all, I asked them a question. How you doing? Well, when we're posed questions as human beings, we have this physiological need to answer. You know, say, how are you doing today? Very few people will not answer you. They'll always answer you. Then I said, good to see you again. Now their minds are racing. Do we know this guy? Does he know us? Have you, have you, have you seen him before? So they're chatting to each other real quickly. 
And by the time they're processing all this, my wife and our, you know, our 10 feet past them, they're looking for the next victims. So something, and this, this works. My, my daughters have a fun time doing this when they ever travel. They, hey, you know, how you get, good to see you again. And you'll just people give them a big wide berth. It, it, it really works. You upset that little loop process, get that potential violent offender to rethink what he wants to do. And by the time he reprocesses it, you're already past him. I, I like it. And I, I see it kind of hit, there's a sort of a, a pairing with, with objectivism, you know, because um, in, in objectivism, we uh, really are told to, to rely in terms of our self-esteem and our opinion of ourselves on, you know, what we do and, and, and how we act and not to be just constantly seeking validation from, from other people. So, you know, if you have those values, uh, you know, if you didn't have the values, you might hesitate to say, oh gosh, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or oh gosh, maybe somebody's going to think I'm crazy. You're like, hey, you know, I just don't care exactly. <laughs> what people think, and I'm going to do what's right to save me, you know, exactly. so. Um, so, where, you know, what can we do, where, where else can we go? What are the resources? Where else can we go to learn more? And mm -hmm. when, you know, Greg, this question was coming, are we getting this on audio? We can help, <laughs> we can help. It's you know, so important. I just want the message to get out there. Know. But you know, what videos or training, what else can we do to learn? Well, there are, there are a lot of great books out there. Um, you know, in my book, I reference three books. I reference uh, Gavin DeBecker's Gift of Fear. Highly recommend that. Uh, particularly if you have kids going off to college and moving out on, out on their own. Uh, my book and Gift of Fear make a great combination. Uh, the second book I reference is Tim Larkin's When Violence is the Answer. And his mm -hmm. philosophy is this, violence is seldom the answer. And I totally agree. There are very little instances where violence is the right answer. But when it is, when violence is the answer, here's the catch, it's the only answer. When violence is the answer, and it seldom is, but when it is, it's the only answer. So we need to recognize the fact that sometimes in our lives we may have to use violence. Now, violence is just a tool. We equate violence with bad people because bad people tend to use violence more often than not. But here's a, a kind of a graphic story. We got some time here, a little graphic story. What I mean when I say violence is just a tool. A young mother standing at her kitchen counter making a salad. Her two-year-old daughter's upstairs asleep. Her husband's away on a business trip. As she's making her salad. She feels a breeze in the back of her neck. Before she can turn around, a man grabs her from behind and tells her, if you make a sound, I'm going to kill you. She reaches behind and she scratches at him. He gets enraged. He sees the knife that she was making a salad with. He takes the knife, plunges it into her, and kills her. Horrific, violent, just horrific, just, un just senseless loss. Same scenario. Young mother at the counter making a salad. Two-year-old asleep upstairs. Husband's away on a business trip. She feels a, a, a wind in the back of her neck. Before she can turn around, a guy's got his hand around her throat, and he says, if you make a noise, I'm going to kill you. She gets enraged, but instead of reaching back and scratching his eyes, she picks up the knife and puts it in his throat and kills him. Same violence. Same end result. There's a human being on the floor of the kitchen with a knife in his throat. Same horrific scene. It's never a good you know, there's blood everywhere, a dead body on the ground. But in the first scenario, it's bad violence. Second scenario, it's good violence. You can't fault her for doing what she did. She saved her own life and the life of her child. So yes. violence, violence is just a tool. Don't be afraid of the word violence. And by God, don't be afraid to use violence. Because violence is selling the answer. 
but when it is, it's the only answer. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to really wrap their head around. They don't want to ever have to use violence and God forbid they ever have to. But if you have to use it, it's the only thing that's gonna help you. It's the only thing that's gonna save your life. You're not gonna talk your way out of a serial killer's basement. You're not gonna talk your way out of it. There's only one way to escape that. That's to use more violence than he is. Again, I tough think. subject, I get this. It's a hard subject to talk about. It's, you know, it's great. I, I just um, watched a series on Netflix um, called uh, Dirty John and without giving away the ending, mm -hmm. it, it, has a, it has a violent, uh, there's something very violent that, that occurs. Um, but, uh, you know, yes, sometimes, um, like, as you say, uh, when you're in that situation, violence is the only answer and you, and you have a duty to, to, save, to save yourself. So, um, well, thank you. Nobody's thank coming. you, Greg. I really appreciate this um, time. Hit me up offline. We'll get talk about getting this onto uh, Audible. I am going to uh, download and read those other two books, and I'm going to continue to to watch the great stuff that you're posting at the Schaefer um, Schaefer Security uh, social channels. And um, I hope to see you at a future conference. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again, Jennifer. It was a pleasure seeing you, a pleasure sticking with you. And so, sorry for such a difficult uh, subject, but thank you for Wonderful. having the courage to discuss it because uh, it's something that we all need to talk about, particularly if we have kids. And uh, you know, absolutely. I, um, I've, I've always been interested in this subject. I remember taking a, um, a self-defense um, class at one point, uh, we did a lot of things like that for our community after the fire. You know, we were just really kind of security-minded. And... Um, and, and we had a great instructor, uh, instructor, and one of the things that he, he said was he told us a few moves, uh, and he, he was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor. He said he just put into the mind of your aggressor, she knows something. You know, she knows something. If you do a few moves and, and they know that you know enough to protect yourself, you, you're, you're going to, again, make yourself a, a more difficult, more costly target um, for, for that aggressor. So I think this is a vital subject. We do not shy away from difficult uh, subjects at the Atlas Society. That's what we do day in and day out. So thank you to come on and share some of this great knowledge with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Good seeing you again. Stay safe. Good to see you. Thank you.